Blog Talk Radio. It's the Gridiron Studs Show and the promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Talamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad with your breakfast toast. Saint 
linebacker, defensive end, and a tragic shooting. So we need to touch on that, uh, among some other things on the show today, Emil. You know, it's April 11th, and there's plenty to talk about. Heck, we need to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball, if we can get to that in the in the hour here. I mean, the season has kicked off. There is a baseball season going, and there are some very interesting things going on. So where do you want to start, my friend? Well, I mean, let's start with probably the bad. I like to go from bad to happy. We'll end on some, some more positive stuff. Let's start with Will Smith. I mean, there's, you know, I don't know where we've gotten. And listen, this I guess this has happened. It's not a new phenomenon, but it just seems because of media and social media, we're able to find this stuff out quicker. But where are we? Where are we with people just getting killed over a traffic accident? Um, you know, we we're that society now. Uh, we have guns. We're more. We're more angrier than ever. Uh, we have more things to do. We're more in a hurry. We're more irritated. We're exposed to more violence through social media. We're hidden from nothing. It's just become commonplace. And unfortunately, it happens. And, you know, not to trivialize this, he was uh, a celebrity. But this is going on across the country with just the average everyday Joe. We have these incidents where, you know, even when there's not a gun present, you have a full-out uh, fisticuff side of the road. I've seen a guy pull out a bat and go after another guy. Just unfortunately for Will Smith in this incident, the person he got into it with happened to have a firearm and was willing to use it. It did. And, uh, well, you know, and again, I'm going to caution. Uh, first of all, I don't understand what goes through a guy's head, any person's head, uh, unless they're being physically attacked and then, then, and then you're in a self-defense situation. Uh, what would make anyone think Pulling a trigger on a gun is a great is a is a move you want to make there. Unless again, and I don't know all the facts yet, and I don't think any of us do yet. But unless he was being attacked, um, I don't understand that. But I will caution. Let let's wait. As a matter of fact, I watched that thirty for thirty last week on the Duke lacrosse that they did. It was very very good uh, documentary. And I'm only saying that here because let's wait and see what the facts are. We we don't know. I mean, maybe this guy, maybe he hand choked the guy. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that was the case. They said he was shot in the back and torso uh, several times. And if you're defending yourself, one shot will do when the guy goes down. Uh, that's the end of that. So, um, you know, uh, let's just wait, though. I mean, I want to hear all the facts, but it doesn't seem that, that this was a self-defense, at least from what I've read so far. What I read is that it sounds like that's the direction that this thing is going to go. Uh, a plea of self-defense by Carl Hayes, who has been taken into custody on second degree murder. I'm losing you. You're, you're, you're giving me a little in and out here. Yeah, uh, there was there was some uh, comments made by folks. Um, about the second-degree murder charge and why it's second, why it's you know something this heinous would be second degree and not first degree. And you know, listen, I'm not a lawyer, but I would have to imagine to get a first-degree charge put on you, it'd have to be premeditated. Correct? Right, right. Neither of us play a lawyer on TV either, but yeah, usually first degree carries premeditation. So you know, you plot out a murder and you kill someone. That's premeditation. In this case, you know, I mean, it's it's anger or whatever, but that's more of a you know, carry second degree is still a life sentence, by the way, for 
people out there. You get second degree, it's a life sentence. I don't know where that puts you in terms of how yeah, long well, for, you know, for on parole. Amal, I don't know. Did you read any articles where there seemed to be um, a connection somehow between the assailant and his father being killed and um, Smith being out with a member of the police department. Did you get that whole thing? Because I didn't really get it. Yeah, I read a little bit on that, and they're saying that they, they don't think that was the motivation. They're, they're, I think they're looking at the angle. Was there a prior incident earlier in the evening uh, at a club or whatever or something along those lines? I think that's one of the angles they're approaching. Um, you know, the, the lawyer in for the case, defendant. Emil, I mean, you probably could go for a first-degree murder charge if, if that happens to come to light and be true. Well, here's what the lawyer for the, what I get, and again, he's being a lawyer, so we don't know how much is accurate. He's saying, let's wait for the blood toxicology to come back. Uh, I think that'll shed some light on it. So I, I think he's insinuating that, uh, you know, the victim in this case was either, you know, drunk or whatever and and I uh, was the instigator in the altercation again I don't know only because what I'm reading is he was shot in the back if <laughs> someone shot in the back they're not they're not attacking you unless they got some fancy Bruce Lee move going on I mean I don't you know mm-hmm. um, so I sure. mean I, and, and it, it, I'm with you on that you know let's let's kind of which is hard to do in this day and age but let's kind of wait a little bit and get the details as they come out. Either way, though, it's a great tragedy. If Smith did attack this guy who ended up having to defend himself um, by committing this act or whether it was just in cold blood, either way, it's tragic and uh, a senseless way to go out. Well, let me tell you an odd story with this. With this. You were mentioning angry. about. I'm going to say it was probably a good... About a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit less, 15 months ago, I'm making a left onto a street in town. And the guy's coming in the other direction. We both have, he's going to make a right from the other direction. We both have a light. I kind of gun it, and but I go into my left lane thinking he'll go into his right, and we're fine. I kind of cut him off. But I give him the high sign, and you know what that is, like, my my bad. Right. So I, I look over to the right of me, and, I, you know, I'm I'm certainly – don't profess to be any tough guy, but I look over to the right of me, and this guy's like going crazy. Younger guy, probably in his early 30s. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, this dude pulls his car sideways across the street in front of me. Mm-hmm. So now, now, now I'm getting ticked. I maintain my composure. Guy comes over, he starts going off. I said, listen. I roll down my window, just like this. I said, get back in your car. And he's telling mm-hmm. me everything I did wrong. I said, pal, You've got your car parked across a, a decent-sized thoroughfare here, street, and you're blocking mm. traffic. I said, please, 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 don't make me get out of this car over this. Ooh. The guy got back on my car, cursed, cursing me out, and drove away. But, I mean, I was just – I'm sitting there saying to myself, are you serious? I mean, I was even motioning to the guy, my bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, um, I, think, I think many of us uh, – there have had some form of a road rage incident, whether it was, you know, shooting a middle finger at someone or um, someone. I don't do that, by the way. I, I really don't because I just think it's a bad, you just don't know who you're doing it to or, you know, what whack job is driving down the road with a loaded 45. You just, it's not worth it. I always tell my kids or anybody who listens to me, 
don't do it. It's not worth it. Yeah, um, certainly would agree. And, you know, obviously when things like this happen, um, cooler heads didn't prevail. Because I, ha- I would like to think most people out there know that this isn't the way to go. Uh, it's really not a good idea to pull out a gun and shoot somebody. It's just you get uh, overtaken by the by the moment and the all of the emotions. And emotions run high sometimes when you're driving out on the streets and um, unfortunately result in the loss of life of Will Smith, obviously too soon. And uh, just one of those things, one of those tragic things that happened that, you know, a family's going to have to deal with. Now, wife was also shot in the leg in this incident. And it, Apparently she's okay. I mean, she got shot in the thigh. It sounds like she'll be okay. But I mean, just listen, how do you, you look at her? How do you recover from that? I mean, you sat there, you got shot yourself. You watched, you know, you watched your husband get murdered. It just, to, to me, it's it's one of those really sad situations, not because he's a star. Like you said, this is happening all over the country. It's just sad because it's like I always say to people, big picture. Just take a step back, big picture. In mm. in a day, is this going to – not him, but if you're in a car accident or a fender bender or somebody cuts you off, in a day, is that really going to matter? Like why get <laughs> – you know, and I think anybody listening to the show, you're saying most people know it's not the way to go. I'm sure most people, almost everyone listening right now knows that's not the thing to do. But that's not the majority. We have a lot of, there's a lot of angry people right now in the world, in this country. They're just, I, they're just perpetually angry. And they take something small, whether it's, you know, they get cut off in a line or they, you know, uh, they get cut off at a light. And next thing you know, you have stuff like this happen, and like you said, it's only because he's famous we know about it. I'm sure, sure. this will probably happen a few times this week across the country. We just won't hear about yeah, it. Yeah, it'll probably happen. It'll probably happen today. I don't know if it'll come to this kind of a conclusion, but um, people are out there. They got to get to work, and they got to get to where they're going. And um, someone's preventing you from do that and from doing that. And you get you get stuff like this going on. But uh, sad case. And uh, you know we wish the we, we wish the best for the families given the situation. We're gonna go into our first break, Emil. When we get back, they banned the satellite camps. Oh my God! College football is it over? Uh, should the teams up north just pack up and forget it? You can't compete anymore. We'll talk about that more when we get back on the Gridiron Studs Show right after this. Hang with us. And now it's time. Hey, hey, hey. Do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoff. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one day contest for $25 and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. 
For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! O-M-G. Look at all of this paperwork. Are you a business owner and you're buried under a mountain of paperwork? You need an MVP on your team. And that MVP is MVP Business Concierge Services. They know that sometimes paperwork can get in between you and your customers. Why not spend the time doing what it is you do best? Getting new customers, handling the ones that you have now, and while you're doing that, you can have an MVP working for you. We know that tax season is the busiest time of the year for business owners. No more missing deadlines and getting IRS penalties for late filing. MVP Business Concierge Services will do all the hard work for you. They will streamline your payroll, streamline your finances, and have you on track. With trustworthy advisors that are very reliable, they will take the hard work away from you and get you back into what it is you're doing best. How do you get this MVP on your team? You call right now, 844-696-8722, 844-MY-MVP-CC, or send an email to info at mymvp.cc and get an MVP on your team today. Into this thing. 
Uh, last year, 63% of the 128 FBS teams earned bowl berths. And earn, you're, you're using a very broad definition of the of the uh, word earn there because at a certain point you're taking the shine off the teams that really did earn a, a postseason trip. I mean, by years ago, I mean, there was a certain, you know, you, you made a bowl game. I mean, people would say, you know, even into the 80s, wow, they made, you know, a good, good year they, they got invited to a bowl game. There just wasn't that many bowl games. Now it's like, so what? You got invited to a bowl game. That means you didn't suck totally. Well, who spoiled the party? Minnesota, Nebraska, and San Jose State, all three of those teams, quote-unquote, earned bowl appearances as 5-7 and seven teams. Not 5-6, and six, well, not one game under the Mendoza line. Two games under the Mendoza line. 5-7 and seven earned their way into the bowls. And, uh, you know, that just really, I guess, you know, pushed people over the edge. Because in the previous 45 years, uh, only four teams with losing records made it in the bowl. So these three guys jumped in there this year. People were all up in arms about it. You know, they did have they did approve a, a bowl game ban back in 2011. I don't know if you remember that. Um, they had a oh, you mean you mean uh, oh, you mean of adding bowl games back in 2011? Yeah, they had a, yeah, 2011. They put a ban in a three-year ban. You can't add any new bowl games. You know what happened, Emil? When the ban was lifted, six bowl games. They had a bowl game. Six new bowl hey. games hopped in there. So it's just like, I don't know what it is, like stored up jizz, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but we've talked about this. You don't have to – this is not hard. This is not rocket science to figure out what's happening here. You turn many of these games on, and there's like 12 people in the audience other than the bands and the parents, okay? But here's what here's what's going on. You've got 24-7 – uh, TV, okay, 24-7. There is no more national anthem for you uh, younger people. That used to come on about 1, 2 in the morning, and they'd sign off. There is that. That does not exist anymore. These stations, especially sports stations, they need product. So you don't. You could actually play a bowl game with nobody in the stadium other than the teams and the officials, and they can make some money off it because you, between Fox Sports 1, ESPN, and every other sports channel and and their offshoot, you know, on cable. There's enough t- television time to put all these games on. So they're driving the addition of bowl games. It's no different than college basketball season. That used to start in early December, mid-December when you and I were younger. Now they're starting sure. at the beginning of November because again, they need product to put on television. So they create tournaments and they, Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you got to have um, some programming for all of these channels. And what's better, more sports than more sports? So, you know, this is what we've got here. Uh, you know, that's the bad, this right here, this ruling right here is bad news for three cities. That's Austin, Texas, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and Charleston, South Carolina. They were all up and ready to uh, have some bowl games, some new bowl games. They were going to add to this pot. There were going to be 44 bowl games next year. And until the NCAA came in and put their foot down. Well, I'll tell you what. I think the way things are going, you might find the Cleveland Browns playing in a bowl game. Well, yeah, there you go. And and, and not winning it. But speaking no, of well, that, I, NCAA, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to that, say they'd win. I just said they'd get invited. If you're Cleveland and you, you want to call us because you're mad about that, about the truth I just dropped on you, 
I do feel the need to give out the phone number at this time. It's 347-633-9365. Real rookie move. Didn't give that number out anymore. I mean, what's going on with us here? 347-633-9365 if you want to reach us on the show with a comment today. And uh, you can always reach us on Twitter at Gridiron Studs. Uh, let's get into this satellite camp ban thing. First of all, satellite camps, um, in the uh, quickest way that I can explain this, is uh, a college football program holding a summer camp, usually a summer camp, in a different location than their city or their campus. So, you know, like last year, I attended a satellite camp uh, here in the Miramar area for the uh, USF, University of South Florida, which is located in Tampa. And uh, we are, where I am, we are four hours south of Tampa. So USF, in an effort to tap into this hot and heavy and rich recruiting market here in South Florida, had a satellite camp right here in my city of Miramar. And, you know, we're able to attract some of the uh, top talent in this area. It sounds like a good thing. You know, kids can't always travel, so you bring the camp to them. You bring your your uh you know your school and your program and uh, all of your coaching to them i also attended one for ohio state at florida atlantic university so ohio state came from all the way up north urban meyer himself came out to fau where they did a joint camp and uh some 600 plus kids attended amel and uh they were able to get coached by ohio state coaches and uh get a feel for the program and receive you know propaganda on Ohio State and so on and so forth. The NCAA has now banned that practice. And uh, much to the chagrin of the folks up north, because those were the ones who really were in favor of it. I'm trying to pull up how this vote went. And, well, uh, you may- here's, let me tell you, though, I, I can tell you how it went. The only Power Five, the, when they vote, there's 15 uh, or 10 conferences. The Power Five gets two, their vote counts twice. So the only Power Five conference that voted for the satellite camps to continue was, of course, the Big Ten. The other four don't like it. And uh, basically, I think all the other ones vote. I mean, from what I understand, the final vote was 10-5. So that means four Power Five conferences times two is eight, and then two of the smaller ones. So so six conferences voted against it, four voted for it, um, final vote, and it, the way they scored is 10-5 because of the two-to-one rule. Sure. Um, and that being, if you're a Power Five conference, you get two votes. Your one vote counts as two. Sounds fair. Um, anyway, sure. the SEC, ACC, Pac-12, Big 12 all said, uh, we could do away with these satellite camps. You know what? We're in very talent-rich areas. Why would we allow the uh, guys from up north to come down here south and let everyone know what they've got going on. I mean, what did you expect those guys? Well, but hear, hear me out on this, and this is where I, I, I kind of agree with, with the four that voted against it. Um, it's, it's no coincidence that, in general, the better academic schools uh, are in the north and the east, in the Midwest to some extent. Now, for whatever reason, one, they're older, I mean, so they've been around longer, Two, I'm going to guess that, you know, I don't know if there's a study on this, but it's easier to keep yourself in a dorm room or a library studying uh, from November through at least March in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Massachusetts than it is maybe in Miami or Los Angeles. Not to say they're not good Mm -hmm. schools. I'm just saying there's – now, where I'm going with this is just because your school is located in a certain spot, that happens to be where it is. 
the mm-hmm. inherent advantage for satellite camps is only with the northern schools because when they run these camps, the only place to go that you would make it attractive is the south. I mean, let's face it, you're not going to run a satellite camp in January in Pennsylvania. Right. I so, mean, this is so, akin to saying, uh, Amol, um, Burger King wants McDonald's to be all right with uh, setting up like a little small uh, uh, flame broiled Whopper kiosk in the corner of their stores. Exactly. That's almost. What I mean, it's like. I mean, if you're think about this, if you're running satellite camps, okay, where are you going to go? Okay, you're going to go to South Florida. You're going to go to Southern California. You're going to go probably to to the Austin or Dallas area in Texas. All happen to be warm places, talent-rich high school football states. Now, how are those schools going to reciprocate? Is Miami going to have a satellite camp up in Philadelphia in January? I don't think so. Um, Is is USC going to go to Denver in January and have a camp? No, nor will I really see them setting up in in, uh, Ann Arbor or East Lansing or Columbus, for that matter. So, right, so yeah, basically what are you doing with these other schools in our territory, for crying out loud. Yeah, those other schools in the north, they're saying, oh, it's not fair, we can't do this. Well, yes, it is, because what you want is you want to protect your area, because let's face it, there's some damn good football players coming out of Ohio and Michigan high school football, so you want to have that to yourself, because you know it's not feasible for Texas or USC or Miami or any schools down there, Alabama, to run a camp in Ann Arbor or Columbus at that time of year. And then you want to go invade their territory. Uh, and, ju- and just because their territory may be more talent-rich, they didn't put the school there because of it. I mean, when when they started the University of Texas or USC, they didn't say, well, let's put them here because we know 120 years from now there's going to be better high school football players here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that so, was, was not the thought process at all, though neither one of us. Uh, were around back then, but I will just go with you on that one. So yeah, I think uh, well, I think you can assume that my assumption is probably safe uh, on that one. Yeah, we'll 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 roll with you on that here on the Gridiron Stud Show. But um, the other part too is there are a number of people out there saying, well, this is uh, unfair. It's a disadvantage to the kids. Blah blah. But you know what? College football went on just fine for however many decades without satellite camps. You know what? You want to check out Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. You want to check those places out. You know what? Pony up, find a way, get up the road. You know, when you go to their camps, you see in their campus. I mean, you do need to know if Columbus, Ohio is a place that you want to live and spend four or five years. You're not going to find that out if they come down here to Tampa. I mean, no, listen, not at all. I mean, Urban Meyer is going to be a great guy when the sun is shining. He could probably be a real miserable SOB when it's overcast and 21 degrees. Well, this yeah, this is really nothing else other than you know Urban and a couple other of the clever guys, and you give them credit because they, they're always thinking out of the box. They thought of a way to skirt some rules for a while, and you know. It caught up with them. No big deal. You know, they got slapped on the wrist, said don't do it anymore, and move on. I mean, they should just be thankful for whatever players they poached in that time frame because of the satellite camps. That's it. I don't even think it was anything like that, Amo. I mean, there was no rule against it. So there was no uh, slap on the wrist or anything like that needed. But they're calling this thing the Harbaugh rule. So, I mean, already, Amo, you're seeing – I mean, Harbaugh's been back into this thing how long? And he's already wearing people out. 
including the NCAA, where they got to get together and have emergency meetings and make uh, strict, quick rulings like this. Well, you know Washington what happens, and I think Harbaugh is even worse at it practice. because, well, you know, you're, well, let's go to Harbaugh first, though. He, he irks people. We, we've talked about that. Even at the pro level, he irked people. And sure. I think what, he, what he's not learning from history, and people who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Pete Carroll was similar in that, but Pete didn't irk as many people. Pete, Pete was more of just a nice guy, but all Pete cared about was football. Okay, We've talked about this for years. All these teams have infractions. Some, some major, like North Carolina, where they're just giving you the answers to the test. Some not so major. But the only way you really get in trouble is if they have a reason to look. Now, what gives them a reason to look? If you win too much, that gives them a reason to look. Or if you draw attention to yourself. Um, Miami did it. Pete Carroll did it. You know, they, they won too much. Well, Harbaugh, whether he wins too much or not, and I suspect he'll win a lot, he's drawing attention to himself by being a pain in their ass. And what he's going to find out in college football is the more you do this kind of stuff, and you draw that attention, they're going to start looking. And I guarantee you, if they start looking, just because it's the nature of the beast, you're going to find infractions. And he's going to not be long for college football. Oh, yeah, no no doubt about it. But I don't think he's in this thing for the, for a long time. You agree or disagree? I don't think he's in any job for a long time because I think he's a restless soul, and I think he also grates on people around him. He's too intense too quickly, so I think he's got one of those four- to five-year shelf lives wherever he goes, and then he's got to bounce because he's bored and they're they're sick of him. Yeah, um, so, I, I mean, I really think that he wants to go back to the NFL in short order anyway, just really wants a ring like his brother. So he's just going to go hard. He's going to go to the max, and those folks up there in Ann Arbor love him. But nevertheless, if you're looking for a satellite camp this offseason, no deal. NCAA has shut him down, and, uh, you know, that's the end of that until further notice. And I think further notice is going to be still shut down. You're going to have to schlep your way if you're from Florida or, you know, California or somewhere in Texas. You want to see Ohio State, Michigan State. You want to see those teams, Penn State. Man, you're going to have to pack up the wagon and drive up the road. Yeah, that store is closed. Yeah, exactly. So, it is what it is. All right, we got to talk some NFL draft because that's right around the corner here for us. It's that time of year again where teams make some ridiculous picks where you just don't understand what they're doing. Some big-time, highly-ranked guy is going to be a bust out of this world, and some no-name who no one expected anything out of is going to be making a move for Rookie of the Year. Yes, folks, it's the NFL draft, and we're going to talk about it when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. You want the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship-type speed? Do you want speed that kills? Then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash 
make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. Sure, summer's gone, winter's here, but that doesn't mean everyone's putting their t-shirts away. Whether it's the company recreational basketball team, the youth soccer league for the kids, or the Halloween party your buddy throws every year, t-shirts are as much a part of the American culture as Tom Brady deflating footballs. Screen printed t-shirts are costly when done for small groups. They're limited in color unless you want to pay even higher prices. More colors, more costly. The answer? Do it yourself at home with your inkjet printer and a hand iron. Whether it's your 7-on-7 team, your child's birthday party, or the family reunion, you can do it yourself and they'll look great. That's right, with heat transfer paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com, you can design your own logos, do the wording whatever you want, print it on your own inkjet paper sold by t-shirtsupplies.com, and iron it on with your own hand iron. The design or pictures you put on your t-shirts are limited only by your own imagination and creativity. If you dream it up and design it, the paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com can get it onto your t-shirt. By the way, don't worry if you haven't done it before. As T-Shirt Supplies has first-rate customer service, they'll help you get the right paper for your project and steer you in the right direction. Visit them at t-shirtsupplies.com. That's t-shirt, no hyphen, supplies pearl, all one word, dot com. Or call them at 1-877-857-2737. It's 1-857-85-PAPER. T-ShirtSupplies.com. Go there now. Are you a property owner or want to be one, but you don't have time for property management? Then get an MVP on your team. Who has time for the letting process? for arranging inventories and organizing pre-tenancy cleaning, dealing with deposit negotiation and negotiating with service suppliers and maintenance. No one's got time for that. MVP does though. Get this MVP on your team. You can rely on MVP property management to offer you an extreme amount of quality and professional services for your money. And because they know that everyone is different, they pride themselves in providing a professionalized service to each and every one of their clients. So how do you get this MVP on your team? It's simple. Pick up the phone and call right now. 844-696-8722. That's 844-MYMVPCC. Or send an email to info at mymvp.cc. Get this MVP on your team and start winning today. draft coming up here in uh what do we got two weeks before the nfl draft amol where these uh uh, what, what, let me think of the weekend here. We are looking at that last weekend in April, which would make it what the twenty seventh, twenty eighth, twenty ninth, I believe. I guess three so weeks. So two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Well, today's the eleventh. Yeah, two weeks this Thursday, us. right? Yeah, it'll be upon us before we know it. 
Uh, well, who's your go-to guy on uh, mock drafts and stuff like that on the on the uh, internet? Who's your guy that you go to? Uh, well, everyone has a go-to. For, guy. for guys that do mocks, the whole draft, I like I like McShay. I think he's a little less flamboyant than than Mel Kiper. I think Kiper's a little bit wrapped up in himself over the years. I, I like McShay, but as far as I like to listen to guys. Uh, who comment like former GMs, like guys that I respect. I like listening to when they, when I can hear Charlie Casserly talk about a player. I, I like him, or if they can grab Ron Wolf or somebody like that, uh, where I have some respect. Gil Brandt will occasionally chime in on NFL.com, uh, the former Cowboy uh, talent evaluator from years ago, a good one. Uh, those kind of guys I like to listen to. But if you're if you're asking me for pure mock drafts, I like McShay for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh... Just go to NFL.com. I'm not a big mock draft guy. I, I know what it's about. I know that it's entertainment. I know there's uh, some value in it being wrong, to be quite honest with you. It's just a, a point of discussion. You know, we like to rate, rank things. We like to preempt things. We like to do all that good stuff. I do like Mike Mayock. Uh, you either love this guy or you hate him. I, I happen to like his analysis, and it, it, I just get the feeling that he's put in some some work on this. So I want to run through a couple of his ratings and rankings here. I don't think I'm going to hit all the position groups. You know, perhaps we can save that for some later times. Quarterbacks, though. He likes Carson Wentz. Says that's the number one guy on the board. Uh, Jared Goff is second. Paxton Lynch third. Connor Cook fourth. Dak Prescott five. Man, call me crazy, but I think four and five are probably going to be the guys that end up doing something uh, worthy. Well, I think this is a draft, and you know, I want I want to give you credit. I think you've hit on something in, in, by what you made us go through five years back on the last show. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is a draft where people are really, really reaching to find a guy that can't miss, and there isn't one there. That's not to say Carson Wentz doesn't end up being a star. It's not to say Jared Goff doesn't. But I don't think you can honestly say that either one of those guys, at first blush. You you would feel confident staking your reputation that they will be a star. You don't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah. No, definitely agree with that. And you know, every year it seems like we come around and have this same discussion, and the same crap goes on. Teams do the same. Well, thing. you pause there because you were probably thinking to yourself, "Hey, well, my reputation stinks anyway. What do I? What the hell do I have to stake it on?" It. I don't know about <laughs> that. I don't, I don't know if that was a thought process. Well, I mean, but you had I mean, to pause, like, like you were processing it, thinking, well, man, he's saying my reputation, but it's not that good. But no, I mean, oh, man, I, you know what? This is Groundhog Day. You know, uh, we're going to make these astute observations, as will others, and teams will still. Uh, and, and, and I'm talking about the local team. They're still. Here's the guys I like in the draft. I, I, if, if it's me, the more I've read and listened and tried to take in people that know a hell of a lot more about football than me, I like Lynch if I can get him late in the first round, early in the second. Um, I like Cook if I can get him in the second. I like Prescott and Hackenberg if I can get them in the third or beyond. Um, I think mm-hmm. that those positions you would get decent value for the pick. Now, again, I'm not saying don't anyone misinterpret. Carson Wentz may be three years from now the Pro Bowl starting quarterback. I'm not arguing that point. I just don't think at this point, if I'm a GM, I can justify using a top ten pick on him or Goff. I just that, that's my that's my gut feeling. 
Yeah, I'm not. I mean, there's not enough there for you to say this is your franchise guy. But you know what, Emil? Them three guys are probably going to get picked in the first round. And uh, well, no, you, you're you're right. It's the most important position. People are are willing to take risks. Um, if if you ask me, and maybe you disagree, but obviously you watch more film than I do because of what you do. Um, what mm-hmm. I see is this: Wentz, phenomenal athlete. Couple cons- biggest concern is level of competition. No doubt, one double A's gotten a lot better over the years, but one double A is not the SEC or the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or the Big 10 or anything. You know, so th- that jump can sometimes be a lot bigger than people think. I mean, it, you know, so that's the first thing. And the pressure is going to be on if he's a top five pick, which it looks like he will be. There's not going to be that, hey, you can sit around and develop like Tony Romo did coming from one double A. He's going to have to be a guy that comes in and within a year or two has taken the reins a la Andrew Luck. Okay, so that's what I see with him. And the problem I have with Goff is really simple. I think he's got all the tools. He's a little thin for me to play the position in the NFL. He's going to need to put some strength and you know weight on. But that said, made a lot of mistakes against the better teams, and he didn't play under center. I don't like these guys necessarily coming from these spread offenses, shotgun all the time, to make a seamless transition. Now, if he's a second-round pick and he can sit a couple years, no big deal. But if you're telling me Goff's going in the top ten, somebody's going to expect him to come right in and play. So if he's not in a system that he's, you know, if he, I'm assuming he's going to have to go under center once in a while in the NFL. So I, that could be a problem. Yeah. I hope uh, Goff isn't the new Ryan Tannehill, though he has more experience. That was my biggest issue with Ryan Tannehill. A year and a half playing quarterback at the college football level just looks like he was set up for failure. And at this point, you'd have to say he's a bust considering where he was picked. And what people fail to realize is that's a big part about uh, whether or not a guy um, reaches his value or not, where he's picked. I mean, like Connor Cook, if he's picked in the top ten, I mean, there's a really big chance that he might be a bust. Uh, take well, this guy people... in the second round, like you said, or mid to mid second round, then he his his chances increase of um, not being a bust and being a real good value. Well, for people who like the draft in football, and this is going to sound funny, uh, not to you probably, but to listeners, I would encourage you to read some basic economics books. And I'm being serious here. Um, a lot of the principles of the NFL draft are deal in in economics only football economics and the word opportunity cost comes in you could take a guy with the eighth pick and he may be an above average say nfl starter not great but maybe one maybe number 15 in the league if you're ranking them we like to rank things right but if you're using a top 10 pick you can't yes you cannot take a quarterback that's only in the middle of the pack he's got to be a guy if you're taking him in the top 10 he better be a player that becomes one of the top six or seven quarterbacks in the league. Because here's the thing, you probably could have grabbed a guy in the second or third round that might be a middle-of-the-pack NFL starter, and with that first pick, maybe drafted a left tackle that goes to 10 straight Pro Bowls. I'm just making, you know. So it's about opportunity cost and, to your point, value. What did you get with that pick? What could have you, what could you have done with that pick? So Sure. Sure, and that's a that's a big part of it without getting too crazy into it. How about the wide receivers? Uh, Laquan Treadwell is your number one guy. I don't know that many would argue that. There was some talk about his speed and, you know, is he going to be fast enough? Uh, you know, I, we can go on and on about 40 times. He ran a 4.6, I believe. That's going to have to be 
plenty fast enough considering everything else he brings to the table. And then you've got kind of a hodgepodge of guys after that. Uh, Corey Coleman from Baylor, a ton of production there, but Baylor runs that kind of offense where you could sleepwalk your way into a 150-yard receiving game. Then there's Josh Doxson from TCU, same kind of deal there in terms of a very receiver-friendly offense. Then Will Fuller, someone who really caught my eye and came on late last year. Sterling Shepard, who has had a ton of uh, production at Oklahoma, and Michael Thomas from Ohio State, another guy who's been steady. What's your thought on that wide receiver group? Now, Antonio Brown's going to bust my theory here because he's going to be one of the outliers, but generally with wide receivers, high picks, I like size and ball skills because here's the, my mm-hmm. view on, on the wide receiver. I can get an Antonio Brown that happens to be a superstar because he's an outlier. I can get him lower in the draft because he's got speed. He's not huge. I just find these speed guys, just guys who can run fast that are 5'11", um, you're, usually you don't have time. Unless you have one of these offensive lines, like you happen to have the Dallas offensive line where you can let some, some longer routes develop, you don't have time to have guys running 40, 50 yards down the field just running by guys. When you get those plays in the NFL, from my observation, it's typically guys that can run down the field. You can, you're going to throw it up and give them a chance, and they've got ball skills They've got size, and they become a threat in the red zone as well. So I like big guys like Trump. So you're Des Bryant. You like those type guys. And Calvin Johnson, obviously. I mean, there's more than just Des. There's a lot of guys in the league anymore. Uh, Julio Jones, guys that are just now, – now, Julio can run, and Des, for a guy his size, can run pretty good too. I mean, he's not a burner, but he's going to – you know, he's probably – when he came in the league was a legit 4-5 type guy, 4-5, maybe a little 4-5-1 or something. those Des Bryant's. Those Julio Jones, Thomas, guys, Green. Yes, guys that can no. go up and, and make, as we say in basketball, they can create their own shot. Guys that you can say, hey, I'm going to give you a chance because I have a, a, a fairly good confidence level that if it's one-on-one, the ball goes up, either you're coming down with it or it's going to be incomplete. That's what I like in today's game. I don't like these guys that are just going to run a 40 because they're fast and they're, you know, they're going to try to run by you because most of the time you can't get the pass off anymore. Oh, sure. You know, sure. And there's slot wide receiver types have their place. I just don't know uh, in the mid to top half of the NFL draft or, you know, hell, 20 up. And I'm not looking at 40s, and I'm sure you're not either. 40 for a slot receiver guy, okay, to me – Drills like, like like cutting drills, cone drills. I'm looking for guys that are smart, understand defenses, because a lot of those are hot reads. I'm looking for guys that have good hands because they're going to get the ball in traffic, and guys that can cut on a dime. I don't care if you can run a 4-3-40, because if you're in the slot most of the time, what I want you to do is create a mismatch in the center of the field, catch the ball on the run, and and then make a big play. Yeah, exactly. Definitely on that. And the last group where you know I'm going to talk about with the rankings here uh, is the running back position, the dying position in the NFL, unless you're into winning championships. And that is number one, Ezekiel Elliott out of Ohio State. Number two, your Heisman Trophy winner Derrick Henry at Alabama. Uh, Devontae Booker from Utah. Number three, Kenneth Dixon. Number four from Louisiana Tech. Number five, C.J. Procise out of Notre Dame. Listen, do you get the feeling this is a very light draft? In terms of running backs? Yeah, but I, a sleeper I keep an eye on because I watched a lot of him, and, uh, you know, I, I like the kid is that Booker from Utah. 
Yeah, no, definitely a, a high production guy, and um, you know, did some really. But he's really got good game things. to him. I mean, he's got he's got some moves in the hole. I mean, he's not the biggest guy, he's not the fastest guy, but he's got a good combination of power and speed. I think I think he can be a pretty productive back in the right system. And to your point, you've been saying this for a long time. I think Derrick Henry has to be in the right system. But I think Henry is a guy that could surprise people in the right system. Now, I think if he goes to the wrong system, he could be a disaster. Well, let's talk. What would be a wrong system for him? Just off the top of your head, what would you think? Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> I'll probably give you a really easy – a Chip Kelly one. Chip oh, Kelly. Oh, God. I mean, Almost every yeah. running back back. Well, but but I mean, I think Henry is a guy, and you made the point to me uh, probably off air, and you know, I don't even it might have been off the air when we were taking a break. But I think Henry would be great in Dallas. That's me as a Cowboy fan, but also me looking at him. His game is he's going to make one cut, he's going to get to the hole, he's going to punish you, and he's got the speed that if he gets in the open field, he's a freight train. The guy ran a four-five-three at the combine for a man that weighs two hundred and fifty pounds. He's going to be a mother to bring down, but he's got to have that initial crease. He's got to have that hole. He's not going to make anybody miss in the hole. He needs daylight. Once he gets daylight, he knows what to do with it. Yeah, I would agree with you. You do have to get him through the line of scrimmage. Someone pops through into that backfield, his his run is over, and that's going to be a, a loss on the play. He's not really adept at making people miss behind the line of scrimmage. Now, get him through there, then, you know, he gets people to miss, usually because they don't really want to be involved with tackling a guy that size. And the Cowboys are really good at that. They've got a great offensive line, and just the whole run scheme that they have is really designed to get a guy through the line of scrimmage um, in much the fashion in which they've got DeMarco Murray through the line of scrimmage and made him look like Yeah, Murray back. was not a guy, if you remember, coming out of Oklahoma, probably the best thing Murray did that Henry doesn't do, and that's maybe because of what, what they did at Alabama. Um, you know, Henry didn't get used much in the passing game. Murray did at Oklahoma. He was a very good receiver. That said, their running styles are very similar. Murray was not a guy that was going to juke you or, you know, make you, you know, make you miss looking at his hips or anything. He was a guy, he was looking to find the hole, looking to get to the second level, and then he'd do damage. I mean, he would put his shoulder down, he'd take a six-yard run and make it an 11-yard run. And, there's something to be said for that because I think most fans want home run hitters. You don't hit a lot of home runs in the NFL unless you got Adrian Peterson and maybe now Todd Gurley. You just don't hit a lot. Yeah, you know, you make your you make a defense quit with a guy like this. Uh, you get them really, really tired. Maybe you get guys to move a little too close to the line of scrimmage, and you know what? You hit your home runs in the passing game. But you get a guy like this who just keeps dripping at you four and five yards, and you get a defense to kind of fold up in the second half, which is the objective uh, for the really, really good team. Yeah, I mean, you know, now my concern with him, and you said this when you were watching him, you pointed this out to me, and I'm a little concerned about the amount of touches he had at Alabama, but he did it when he was 20 years old. And frankly, in a lot of those games, he was dishing out in college more punishment than he was taking. So I'm not – I don't know if it My biggest concern is just the the type of hits to his lower extremities that he's going to get. You know, we saw that with Brandon Jacobs, who was a guy big like this. And, you know, you just don't get hit in the upper body a whole lot, especially when you get through that line of scrimmage. You're going to get a lot of helmets to the knees, to the thighs, to the, to the, to the shin bones, to the, you know, to the hips. You're going to get yeah. a lot of that. So 
Um, that would be my concern. Is and that's why I think he's a second-round pick, to your original point earlier in the segment. I think when you look at value, you know, you take a guy like him in the second round, you figure, hey, if he's got a five- or six-year shelf life with us, and I hate to say that about people because they're people, but, you know, that's what we're dealing with in sports. You know, if he plays five to six years at a high level for us and we get him in the second round, we got plenty of value. Now, you look at a kid like Elliot. You know, Elliot's going to get taken most likely in the top ten. He's got to become, if you're using a top ten pick in today's game on a running back, he's got to become Adrian Peterson-like. Now, he doesn't have to be quite as good, but he's got to be really, really good if you're going to justify a top ten pick on a running back. And I think what makes Elliot valuable is he can contribute in the passing game more than these other guys. Sure, sure. And that may be a big part as to why he is uh, the number one guy over the Heisman Trophy winner who piled up all those yards this year. Well, you know, I don't want to call you old, Amo, but you've been watching this whole NFL drafting for a while. And, you know, when you watch something enough, you start developing some rules, some regs, and some principles. And it seems you've done that. So I'm going to give you an opportunity now to lay out your NFL draft principles for all of the uh, GMs that listen to the Gridiron Stud Show, and I hope they're all tuned in today. Well, I've got five, um, and I've kind of tailored, I've tailored my five to a little bit of what we're doing here on the show to make it, I hope, somewhat interesting. But let's start. Most most of us, if beside our own besides our own team, we like to focus on the top ten. I think if you're picking in the top ten, my principle is I've got to pick a guy who's going to be a transcendent player, a star. I, I'm not reaching. If I've got a top ten pick. I am truly following the old, I am not, I am not drafting position. I'm drafting a star. Because if you pick a star, you'll never go wrong. I don't care if you don't need uh, a left tackle. Pick the guy and put him at right tackle for a few years. If, he, if you truly think this is a, an all-pro caliber player. Now, of course, we've got to use position. In other words, if two things are even, okay, if we say two guys are fairly even on our board, I'm always going to put give the quarterback, left tackle, the defensive line, and corner added weight to the other position. So if I've got two guys in my okay, analysis that are – okay. You're the Denver Broncos, let's say, and you have the number one pick, and you've got Von Miller, and you've got uh, DeMarcus Weir, and the baddest guy out there available for you when you're picking is – uh, one of those types. What do you do? You get another one of those, or you just move on to the next best pick? Unless the next guy, now remember, they're, they're playing position that I consider defensive line, pass rusher. If I've got a guy at one of the other positions, quarterback that I need, or corner, uh, or offensive line, left tackle, that I consider very close to that best guy that I don't need, and I think they can be a star as well, I'll pull the trigger on the other position. But if I don't think any of those other positions are going to be just a bona fide star, I'm never going to go wrong with too many pass rushers. A good Mm -hmm. defensive coordinator will figure out a way to get different schemes in on third and long to get the pass rushers into the game at spots that they can they can succeed. So I don't really think you can go wrong. Okay, but don't you run yourself into a little bit of trouble now if you go ahead and uh, draft a guy, and he was really good at X, but you've got you've got guys there that do that. Now you start trying to use him to do something else. You can end up losing the value of a guy because he's doing something he's not entirely made to do. 
You you can, but look, number a couple things. Number one, most first year pass rushers don't knock it out of the park. In other words, take the kid from the Lions. I, I don't even know how to say his name. The, the kid that starts with an A, Asna, or however you say his name. First year in the league, he had like six sacks. Last year, he had 15 or 14 and a half. He went to the Pro Bowl. It usually takes the pass rusher type a year anyway. So it's not like they're going to come in and push a guy out the door or that you expect them to. But if you think the guy can be a Von Miller, another guy like that, are you really ever going to be in a bad position to have two Von Millers on your team? No, nothing. Uh, I mean, it's it's excess. You just hope you aren't giving up another position. But I understand what you're saying. Get yourself a really good football player when you're picking that high. What's what's principle number two? Number two is the first round. The first round, any guys get going in the first round. Let's go. Let's assume eleven through thirty-two. Okay, by year two, they've got to be an above-average NFL starter for you. If you're picking a guy in the first round, to me, okay, first-round picks. They're the way you restock your your team with cheap talent for the for the salary cap era. It's very hard to justify this stuff. I mean, people love to point to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, they took him at twenty four, and my God, Brett Favre was still on the roster. You know what? Yes, there's always that outlier. We've talked about that, and people love to use the outlier in the Freakonomics. You know, they pick the outlier because it's the yeah, one that we know. They want to run with that. Yeah, but that's not the general rule of thumb. Most teams can't afford to use a first-round pick on a guy that's going to sit two or three years. It just It's not the best way to use the pick. It doesn't make any sense because nobody knows the future. You know, there's only one guy above us that knows the future, and, and he's, not, well, he's not on the earth with us. So you don't know what's going to happen in two or three years. You're sitting there saying, well, I'm going to take this guy, and then in three years he's going to do it. You don't know. You've you got to take a guy in that first round that you know by that second year is going to be on the football field as a starter for you and a pretty good starter. I, I mean, isn't that what everyone's really striving for, though? Uh, well, yes and no. You see guys like – I'll give you an example. Well, my team did it in the second round, which is still, which, which still violates my rule because the second round I kind of view almost, almost like the first. But a couple of years ago, remember Dallas? They took Gavin Escobar in the second round. Now, I'm not saying Gavin Escobar is a bad tight end, but they had Jason Witten there. They used a second-round pick on a guy, and their reasoning was, well, we want to use more two tight end formations. So you're drafting a guy in the second round, which is a very premium pick, to be a situational player behind a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame and at the time showed no sign of, of letting up. That, to me, was a waste of a pick. And I'm, I'm using it as a second round, but you, you see this. I mean, if I started going through drafts in the last five years for you, we could sit here and find guys that you saw teams taking a guy that was not going to get on the field in a couple of years, most likely, and you're like, what are you doing using a first-round pick on that guy, or even a second in this case? Yeah, you sound like you're pretty pissed about that one. Uh, that leads us to the next principle. What do you got there for um, you know this principle, but for people who haven't listened before, you draft a quarterback every year in my in my system. Now, I'm not saying you use a, yeah, a, a pick in the one, top. One that I happen to agree with. I wasn't – listen, I agreed with it. I wasn't so hard on it when you first said it, but as time has worn on, I've warmed up more and more to that principle. Talk about I it. I don't care if it's the seventh round. I mean, I'm saying every year I'm taking a guy – that I can either, you know, he, he, I could make him into a potential starter for another team. He could become my backup because you can never have too many quarterbacks in the NFL. We saw that last year. 
there is always a trade market. If you have four good quarterbacks on your roster that could start in this league, trust me, you'll have five first-round picks in a few years because you can trade them. Yeah, um, and, and I, I like that whole deal. I mean, we, we've already said it. We all know it to be that, especially in today's game, the quarterback's the most important uh, position out there on the field. So why not take a crack at one every year? And you know what? If if you get a mid-rounder or a late-rounder and he happens to be better than the, you know, the clipboard holder that you have on the roster right now, why not? Go ahead and replace him. Okay. And, um, now, and then the next principle is you take – you you can always you listen. Here's the thing: if you're using a seventh round pick and you don't hit on the guy, so what? What would you miss out most of the time? And here somebody will call one of these days and say, ah, "This guy was taken in the seventh round and he's been to uh, seven straight Pro Bowls." Listen, that's not the norm. Most of the time, the seventh round, you're grabbing a lottery ticket. Okay, mm-hmm. so you you grab a lottery ticket that can hit big for you when you take a quarterback. If you don't even if you don't need one, you know, use that pick wisely. Try to find a guy that you see something in that you can develop and turn it into a true lottery ticket because if you don't need him, you can trade him, trust me. If if he develops. And this ties into my next one. After the 4th round, and let me say why I say after the 4th round. I said on first-round picks by year two, they've got to be an above-average NFL starter. I really believe in today's game, the second, third, and fourth-round picks by their third year in the league should be NFL starters, at least average to a, and hopefully above-average, but at least average NFL starters. I think your first four rounds, that's how you truly build you know, the guts of your team. But rounds five through seven, you can actually, you've seen the Patriots do this. They're classic at it. They find players in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round. My rule in those rounds, I draft for production. I look Mm -hmm. at tape. I go to big schools most of the time, guys that produced, and I draft for production. Because you know what? All this 40-time stuff and guys doing bench presses. Don't favor the guys from the small schools later down. Well, draft. actually, because I think guys with guys who are studs from small schools, they're the guys that are, are, are going to stick out, and you're probably getting those guys most of the time in the first four rounds because they're so mm-hmm. above average. You could see it on film. You could see their, their measurables. They're just so mm-hmm. above average. You're, you're going to grab those. Like, a, like the kid who transferred from Ohio State to Eastern Kentucky, Spence, the, out, the, the yeah. pass rushing end, he's going to probably be a first-round pick, if not a high second. He's it, he's not falling into the fifth round because he just sticks out on film. So my whole thing is in that fifth, sixth, and seventh round, I want the guy who produced at Oklahoma but maybe doesn't run the 40 as fast as we'd like. Or the guy from Miami, same thing. You know know what I'm saying? I want guys from schools that play top competition and they produced. That's what I like in those rounds because that tells me they can play football. sound like first rounders. Well, but not if they don't – no, 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 because you know we have the Underwear Olympics. And when you go to the Underwear Olympics, if you were at Oklahoma and you are 5'11 and a half and you ran a 4'5'8'40 as a wide receiver, they tend to overlook your 1,300 yards that you had that senior year because you're not tall enough and fast enough, and they look at all those height-speed combinations. And I say, guess what? Somehow that dude managed to catch – 1,300 yards worth of passes against some of the best players in the country. He might be doing something right, so I'm going to take him in the fifth round. Somehow, some kind of way. I, I like a, to look a lot into production. How about looking at the film? How about that little novel idea? 
Go check out some Well, yeah, film, to me, maybe we're both saying the same thing differently. Film, to me, is production. I like to look at film, right. You know, I've got four years worth. Yeah, yeah, I like to look at film. In other words, you know, hey, I've got four years or three years of you playing in the Pac-12 or the SEC. You know, I don't really care, you know, your cone drill. I can watch your cone drill on film because you're doing it against other people. Sure, absolutely. And uh, what's your final principle? Well, no, that was I kind of tied the one in with the, the the fifth one is more when guys are even at a position. I think you've got to put a premium, and and that's in any round. You know, you get on your board, you get to a pick, and you got two guys that are virtually even, maybe you know, within a point, however your grading system is. You got one at an 84 and the other at an 83. I think you got to put a premium on those four positions I talked about, and that's quarterback, left tackle, the guy that saves your quarterback's rear end most of the time, assuming he's right-handed, you know, defensive line and corner. Because those positions, and I'm not saying the other ones aren't important. They are. Everything fits together in football, but especially defensively, you know this. When you put pressure on quarterbacks – they tend to not look good. It makes your secondary look a lot better than sometimes it is. Yeah, no doubt about that. That that is absolutely correct. Those are the five principles by our uh, long time, and when I say long, I mean long time draft observer Emil Calamino here on the Gridiron Stud Show. You disagree uh, with any of those? What's that? Do you disagree with any? No, I mean, I gave you my thoughts on him there. I really love the quarterback one, though. Uh, that's rung true for me. And, and this isn't the first year you've stated that. You stated that a couple years back. I want to say the first year we were doing the show. So uh, definitely, definitely um, like that one, uh, as I do all the others. You know, you got some wisdom there observing this thing for that long. So we appreciate well, you dropping you. that wisdom. Even blind squirrels find nuts once in a while. There you go. Well, kudos to you for finding nuts. We're going to find our butts out of the door. We would like to thank you for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show today uh, and appreciate you guys all making us a featured talk show on Blog Talk Radio. We're back at it again on Friday. Emil and I talking about the latest in the greatest. We'll also touch some more on the NFL draft and whatever else comes up in between now and then. So for Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. We'll see you on Friday. recruits out there. You want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. we got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up and let yourself be seen.